Before we go to prayer, I want to invite you to prayer this evening as we come together at 7 o'clock for a prayer in praise. It's a fellowship of prayer, a place where we just unite our hearts together to pray. Uh, Yes, it's going to stretch you a little bit, but not beyond what you're capable of going. But I would encourage you to be here this evening. The only way we can move forward, brothers and sisters in Christ, is on our knees. That's it. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for uh, who you are, that we can come to you, call you Abba, Father. Thank you for your word, for this passage of Scripture this morning. And God, I pray that you would bring us to where you want us to go in our hearts and in our lives. With this passage of Scripture, a familiar one, but I pray that in its familiarity, Lord, we wouldn't miss what it is that you're saying to our hearts this morning. Use me, speak to me, and through me, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. I would like to buy $3 worth of God, please. Not enough to explode my soul or disturb my sleep, but just enough to equal a cup of warm milk or a snooze in the sunshine. I don't want enough of him to make me love a black man or pick beets with a migrant. I want ecstasy, not transformation. I want the warmth of the womb, not a new birth. I want a pound of the eternal in a paper sack. I would like to buy $3 worth of God, please. These words by Wilbur Reese address the inner struggle we have felt at one time or another. If I give my all to the Lord, then what might he ask of me? Most of us don't want to push God away completely, just keep him at a comfortable distance. We want enough to keep our guilt level manageable, but not enough to start pushing around our prejudices. If we desire more than $3 worth of God, it will mean crossing through some barriers we have erected, knocking down some walls that separate us, and opening ourselves up to others. Let me ask you, what are some prejudices that you need to deal with yourself? How are your eyes stained with prejudice? What are some preconceived ideas you have of others that are getting in the way of moving toward them and loving involvement? At a missionary banquet, there were guests from foreign countries who were not accustomed to American culture. The leaders of the church were briefed beforehand to be sensitive to this fact. Well, this one deacon found himself sitting next to an African man who was hungrily devouring his food. Trying to think of some way to communicate with the man, the deacon leaned over and said, Chow, chow, good, huh? And the man gazing back at the deacon simply replied, Mmm, good. A few minutes later, as the African man savored a delicious cup of coffee, again the deacon leaned over and said, Clug, clug, good, huh? And the man, a little uncertain, replied, hmm, good. 
When it came time for the speaker for the evening to be introduced to the deacon's surprise, it happened to be the African gentleman seated right next to him. And the gentleman got up and he delivered a flawless message in Oxford-accented English. After completing his powerful message, the man headed toward that same deacon whose face was bright red. The speaker leaned to the deacon and said, blab, blab, good, huh? (laughs) What assumptions have we made about others that are affecting how we relate to them? What labels are getting in the way of healthy communication? Prejudice is tragic. It really is no laughing matter. It's a very serious problem. And before you dismiss too quickly its problem in your own life, consider some more subtle ways it may in fact be showing up, like do we size others up to see where we fit in the proverbial pecking order? Do we treat people differently depending on their titles, education, background, appearances, professions, labels put on them by society, and other tip-offs that help us peg people? In this scene, in John chapter 4, we find Jesus interacting in love with a woman that no one else would make any time for. And as we've seen throughout this series, it is apparent once again in this story that Jesus isn't too particular about the type of person that he deals with. Notice that? He didn't get all absorbed with labels. Our present sermon series has us taking a look at Jesus in relationships. We see Jesus today at the crossroad of prejudice. An enlarged heart like Jesus reaches out to others regardless of their barriers. An enlarged heart like Jesus reaches out to others regardless of the barriers. How far Are we willing to be like Christ? Jesus had an appointment on avoidant roads. Let's first look at the avoidant road. And so follow along with me. John chapter 4, verse 1 says, The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized but his disciples. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now let's slow down as we come to verse 4, for these words are loaded. Verse 4 says, Now he had to go through Samaria. Or better translated, it was necessary for him to go through Samaria. Why was it necessary for him to go through Samaria? Why did he have to? Was this the shortest route to where he was going? Well, yes, it was. But it also was the road that was to be avoided. A little background is necessary here, and you may already know this. You have Judea in the south, which is where Jesus was. You have Galilee in the north, which is where Jesus was going. And no doubt, his GPS would have taken him through Samaria to get to Galilee. No question. Because Samaria was right in the middle of those two places, Judea and Galilee. Then you have Samaria. 
right here. But instead, the signal the Jews picked up was hatred and disdain for the people of Samaria. That signal was so strong, it ruled over common sense and taking the most direct route. And so instead, they would walk all the way around Samaria to get to the other side. Have you ever gone all the way around a store to avoid someone else in the next aisle? <laughs> I'm ashamed to say I have. I remember on this one occasion, while Christmas shopping, avoiding someone because of a past and very ugly conflict. And so I made my way in the other direction, away from my destination, all around the store, actually impressed with myself that I was that clever to have made the escape. And just as I was having those pathetic thoughts... Wouldn't you know it, as I turned the corner, just on my way to get out, I ran right into his wife. (laughs) And soon, he was standing right there also. It's not one of my finer moments. But can you relate? Have you ever gone out of your way to avoid that homeless person or that person of a different color or race or that one who was socially was different? Let's face it, there are certain types of people we would prefer to avoid, and if it means a few extra steps to do so, then fine. Why did this become the avoidance road? It goes way back, 720 B.C., when the Assyrians invaded the northern region of Israel and took most of its people into captivity, like two-thirds. Some Jews were not taken away, and so one-third were allowed to stay in their homelands. And then some foreigners came in and lived with these remaining Jews, this one-third. In the book of 2 Kings, I think it's chapters 17 and 18, we're told that the people who remained there intermarried and synchronized and blended their identity and religion with the foreigners. And around even 70 years later, When a remnant returned to rebuild Jerusalem and its temple, the full-blooded, monotheistic Jews didn't want anything to do with these half-breeds, the Samaritans, whose religion was tainted by unacceptable practices. And walls of bitterness were built on both sides and did nothing but harden for the next 500-plus years. The Samaritans were considered ceremonially unclean. They were racially unacceptable. They were religiously heretical. Therefore, they were to be avoided. And if it meant that the trip would take six days longer, then so be it. You avoided it. You avoided them. Hatred can really drive us to do some crazy things. Someone has said, hatred is like blowing up your whole house just to get rid of a rat. Or said another way, hatred and bitterness is like drinking some poison and then waiting for the other person to die. I read of these two unmarried sisters who lived together, but because of an unresolved disagreement, they stopped speaking to each other. And since neither of them were willing to move out of their small house, they continued to use the same rooms, eat at the same table, use the same appliances, and sleep in the same room all separately, without one word to each other. 
a chalk line divided the sleeping area into two halves, separating doorways as well as the fireplace. Each would come and go, cook and eat, sew and read, without ever stepping over into her sister's territory. Through the black of the night, each could hear the deep breathing of the other, but because both were unwilling to deal with their hatred, they coexisted for years in grinding silence. How pathetic. Have any imaginary chalk lines been drawn? Any barrier of hate or unresolved disagreement that you need to cross? What barriers are getting in the way? What's your avoidant road? Oh, it might not be hatred, but it might be prejudice. It might be because of a preconceived notion. An enlarged heart like Jesus reaches out to others regardless of the barriers. Now, why must Jesus then go by way of Samaria, the avoidant road? Because he had an appointment to keep. He was acting purposefully. He had to meet with a serial adulteress to point her to a better way. Nothing happens by accident here. It's a living example, really, John 4, of the parable of the prodigal son in Luke 15. Only here it's a prodigal daughter. The hound of heaven is seeking this woman, and Jesus is being God's man in God's place at God's time with God's heart. And verse 6 says in John 4, Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour, which was likely high noon. But notice in his tiredness, he ministers to this woman. So when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, verse 7 tells us, Jesus asks her for a drink. What would have totally surprised this woman is that Jesus would even speak to her. There's an interesting word used at the end of verse 9 with a parenthetical statement added by John the writer. In some translations it says, for Jews do not have dealings with the Samaritans. The NIV says it this way, for Jews do not associate with the Samaritans. The word dealings or the word associate literally means to use vessels together. In other words, Jews would never use the same dishes Samaritans would use. A Jew would never drink out of her glass. Never. Similar to many racial situations back 50 years ago, well, that's not that far back, 50 years ago, where there were two drinking fountains in public places, one for white people and one for black people. And in that day, stores would actually build their entire plumbing system around the unwillingness to drink from the same fountain. What do you tell your children when they ask why? On one hand, we've come a long way. On another, the prejudices still run pretty deep. With whom do you have no dealings? What is your avoidant road? What is mine? Not only was this an avoidant road, there lived there a woman to be avoided. There was a woman there to be avoided. Jesus initiates the conversation as we see. A man would never speak to a woman in public. Never. Some went as far as to say a man could not even speak to his own wife in public. Huh. 
Hey, look at that guy. He's flirting with his wife. Can't have any of that now. Ridiculous. And not only did Jesus speak to a woman, he spoke to a Samaritan woman. And not only a Samaritan woman, but a woman with serious baggage. She was an adulteress five times over. Jesus could have obliterated his reputation. He didn't seem to care about that. Oh, we are far too concerned about reputation. It's way too important to me. And so we practice an ethic of avoidance rather than an ethic of involvement. It's too risky. What would others say? Jesus is the barrier breaker, isn't he? He shatters everyone. She can't understand it. Jesus talks to this woman who comes to the well at the hottest time of the day to avoid something herself, the harassment she received from others, the shunning she got from the other women in town. Now, how painful it must have been to plan your day around the best time to go somewhere in order to avoid certain people. And this may be the first adult conversation she's had in a while. Certainly the first with a kind man. Oh, she had been with men. But none of those relationships, for one reason or another, worked out. Each time she got married, she figured she married an ideal, then she got an ordeal, and then she wanted a new deal. (laughs) Well, the man wanted out. We, We really don't have the details. But what we can surmise is that this woman was looking for love in all the wrong places. She was trying to fill the ache in her soul with men. Look at verses 10 through 14. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than your father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and herds? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Now, I absolutely love what Jesus does here. The approach is beautiful. It starts out that he's thirsty and she's got the source Then all of a sudden, she's the one thirsty, and he's got the source, or is the source. How good is that? And we come to verse 15. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. And and Jesus says to her in verse 16, Go get your husband and bring him here. Now, that's a loaded one. Jesus began to lift the curtain on her past life. Things are getting personal real fast. Now, we've noticed this before with Jesus as to how he masterfully leads with his ears. Look at verses 15 and 16 again. Verse 15, the Samaritan woman says, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here. 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 Don't have to keep coming here to draw water. Jesus picks up on this. I don't want to come here every day. I don't want to come out in public like this here 
always. I would love to avoid the pain of coming here to this well. If I could avoid this scene every day, I would take it. Give me this water. She's thinking physical water. But Jesus hears the ache in her soul. Jesus hears the pain behind the words. I often miss it. And he says to her, go call your husband and come here. Same word. Only time it's used in John, right here, two times. Here, same word right here, 15 and 16. Not an accident. I don't think I'm reading too much in this, but I sense that Jesus wants to speak to that pain and emphasize it so she will see her need for the living water that goes beyond the physical. So he says to her, in essence, you must feel vulnerable coming here each day, so go get your husband and bring him with you. He'll protect you. Jesus knew that she didn't have a husband presently. Jesus knew that she was empty inside. He's not going to stay on the surface with her, but will expose everything dark and dirty and dead inside. He exposes her thirst. He says the very hard thing to her. Now, let me say something here briefly of an application as to how it fits into our sermon series on Jesus and relationships. The beautiful thing about getting up close to others is that you can take the truth of God's word and use it to speak personally and penetratingly to others. From the pulpit and speaking to a group as I am, I am able to get only so personal and so specific. But as we involve ourselves with others and each other's lives and speaking to each other's souls, we can get real, we can get personal, we can get down to the nitty-gritty of daily life. And that's what Jesus does right here. And the response Jesus gets is so typical of human nature. She offers a half-truth, a partial confession. She says, I have no husband. Verse 17. We use this technique all the time. We give just enough information to give the impression we're being truthful. Right? Kids? Uh, adults? A driver put this note under the windshield wiper of a parked car. This note read, I have just smashed into your car. The people who saw the accident are watching me write this note. They think I'm writing down my name and address. I am not. Good luck. <laughs> just enough. Keeping up the appearances. It's so important to us, we don't let others in completely. Musician Steve Green said it this way. He said, accountability to me is unnatural. My tendency is to let you know enough about me to give you a good impression. He says, I am a recovering hypocrite. <laughs> Jesus saw right through this woman's half-truth, and he says in verse 17, you're right. When you say you have no husband, the fact is you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Jesus has just done open-heart surgery without her knowing it. And not only does he cut her wide open, he knows what to do with the mess that he finds there. Jesus then doesn't say any more about the issue of five husbands and her live-in boyfriend. He doesn't go anywhere else with this. He seems to only mention it to expose her thirst. Can we learn something here about how we relate to others? 
I think we might have had the tendency to pounce on this issue and give her the reasons why God hates divorce and why it is wrong to live with someone you're not married to. I'm not suggesting we are to never do that, but what is the real issue with this woman? She's thirsty, and she doesn't even know it. She's searching for something, anything, to fill the ache in her soul, to fill the void in her heart. No woman goes through five relationships with men without either starting desperately thirsty or ending desperately thirsty. She hasn't been able to find in a man what she craves. No man can ever provide that, not even the best one. And they can't find what they're thirsty for in her because the best woman in the world can't even provide that. And so one man after another leave five times over. Her life was a miserable chain of unfulfilling relationships. Are you seeing yourself in this woman? Do you find yourself moving from one thing to the next, trying to fill the void in your life? You may be moving through one sexual partner after another, or through friends, or jobs, or hobbies, or churches, or toys, or wardrobes, or addictions, or religions, or vacations, or through activities, and you're never able to settle with a contented, satisfying identity and relationship in Christ. And trying to quench our thirst with the things of this world is much like the unfortunate sailors when they become famished, let themselves drink of the ocean, only to find themselves more miserable than they could ever imagined possible. The invitation to you is what we sang earlier, all who are thirsty, come. Are you feeling pursued by God right now? You say, but pastor, you don't know my past. You don't know how dirty I am. That's the very point. God does know your past, and he even knows your secret presence, and he's after you. He desires to break through all the superficial externals and deal with you at the true level of your thirst and my thirst and give us living water, the Lord Jesus Christ. He wants to expose the addictive substitutes that are keeping you from the real thing. Jesus is the real thing. And you know what? Jesus never operated mechanically. We don't find with him a cold, divine professionalism. He didn't come to this earth, simply zap everyone he wanted to bring into the kingdom. He works with them as individuals. And what you see here with Jesus' interaction with this one woman on the avoidant road is exactly how he deals with each one of us personally and individually. It's amazing. And Jesus stopped at the fork of the avoidant road to minister to a woman who was painfully avoided. We stand at the fork of the road in which we must choose. The choice is between two very distinct courses, avoidance or involvement. Serve others or serve yourself. An enlarged heart or a small heart. Become a barrier breaker. 
And a large heart like Jesus reaches out to others regardless of the barriers. Little hearts, though safe, won't contribute anything. Let's honestly consider the labels and prejudices that keep us from moving toward others in loving involvement. The question this text puts on the table is this. Are we willing to follow Christ, not only right up to the border of Samaria, but into it? Are we willing to follow Christ, not only up to the border of Samaria, but into it? Three dollars worth of God or more? And who knows, but there just might be some divine appointment waiting. An elderly woman felt intimidated by the younger generation. She had labeled them rebellious and rowdy. After hearing a sermon one Sunday on reaching out to others who are not like us, she began to think and pray for the students at the nearby university who were away from home. God began to tug on her heart, and she, began, and she came up with this plan. She wrote on several three-by-five cards, Are you homesick? Come to my house for tea at 4 p.m. She then posted these cards, these note cards, all around the campus. And after a slow start, homesick students began flocking to her house for tea. When she died, 10 years later, 80, 8 zero, 80 pallbearers attended her funeral. All had come to her home and discovered an extraordinary love in the process. A love that reached across barriers. Are we willing to follow Christ not only right up to the border of Samaria, but into it? Brothers and sisters in Christ, let's not be satisfied with $3 worth of God. Let's be ready to invest more, and we just might be surprised with what he does with that. Let's pray. Lord, may we make the personal application to our lives. What does it look like? What are we to do with this? May we ask the hard questions. May we just not move on to the next activity. May we not just run the next thing we need to do, as good as that may be, but somewhere in the process, even if it isn't right now, that we take some time to ponder the barriers that we have either put up or others have put up in front of us or whatever and be willing to cross those barriers. Teach us, guide us, help us to move toward others in loving involvement rather than avoidance, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.